Welcome to episode 203 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fans Weekly Podcast of Many Topics. I'm Mike Solosi, and I'm going to start this episode off with an apology. I've had a lot of computer hardware issues the past month or so, and as such, uh, the recording for episode 203 that we had last week was awful and had to be thrown out. And uh, I ended up missing a week of the podcast for the first time in several years. So I apologize for that inconvenience. Uh, we might re-record that episode's topic again in the future. I'm not sure yet. But for now, I'm here, and so is Zach Wilkerson. Hey there. Now, Zach, uh, hopefully we don't have any hardware issues for this recording. <laughs> I'm hoping extremely hard. But uh, when I was scrambling for episode topics this week, one that sort of popped up was, hey, how about we just talk about Dragon Quest for 90 minutes? Yeah. Because that is something that I will do unprompted, <laughs> easily. Same. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And uh, your first episode of Retro Encounter was a Dragon Quest episode in early 2019. That's am I, true. Am I, right, right. Okay, so I'm not misremembering that. Yep, Dragon Quest Eleven spoiler cast. First time on the podcast. It was good. Right, yeah. I wanted to get that spoiler cast off as soon as possible, and uh, and you had expressed interest in it. So I'm like, all right, you. Okay, two Robs, Alana, Zach. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, it was a good and, one. Um, and, that, that, and I was just really desperate to talk about Dragon Quest Eleven with someone, so I, I set up that uh, podcast very deliberately. But this is not about Dragon Quest Eleven, or I should say this episode is not just about Dragon Quest Eleven. Um, in Several times in the past, we've done favorites episodes on Retro Encounter, where we break down a series and sort of decide what our favorite or what our mathematically best game in the series is. We did that for Final Fantasy, Pokemon, and Tales of. Uh, with the first Final Fantasy one, I think being uh, I think being late 2016, mm-hmm. maybe Sounds early 2017. Right. Yeah. Anyway, all three of those were really fun to record, and were basically just series wide discussions that came down to a vote or a rating at the end. And I think Dragon Quest is an ideal series to r- run this uh, format through again because there are several Dragon Quest games. We have opinions on all of them, and uh, it maybe isn't the easiest to figure out a uh, uh, to figure out a best one because uh, you and I. Eventually did come to a consensus, but uh, th- there's there's contenders like this yeah. is yeah Dragon Quest is pretty uh, heavy at the top. Yeah, there there are four that I easily could say, probably three that I could say are my favorites. So yeah, I it's it was a tough choice for me. I also have three, but there's a I, I could easily ex- expand the list to four, five, six if yeah. prompted. But um, we ended up arriving at a one, and then we will get to that at the very end of this podcast. But first, I want uh, you and Isaac to. Talk about not every Dragon Quest game, but many of the Dragon Quest games, and just reminisce on, or, and ruminate on them a little bit. Uh, first, let's talk about the one Dragon Quest game that I know neither of us have played, <laughs> because uh, neither of us have uh, uh, speak fluent Japanese no. or have Japanese uh, PSN or, inter- or or Nintendo or otherwise internet accounts. Uh, Dragon Quest Ten, which is the FF eleven FF fourteen of the series, is straight up an MMO. Yep. And I don't know about you, but when it was coming out, I really eagerly followed the uh, like the character creation reveals that they did. Like mm-hmm. they showed all the different races you could uh, you could become in the game. You start out as human, but then you sort of reincarnate into a race of your choice, and that that throws you into a character creator. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
And uh, it, it looks to be a pretty long, elaborate game, and it's been ported to everything right. the past couple of years. Yeah, I think the, the Wii U is, I think, the strongest following still, if I'm not mistaken, which I think is sort of amazing. <laughs> it's like the thing that I yeah, think is I keeping think the Wii on, U going uh, over there. Yeah, I don't, I don't have any... I should probably search this or before saying this, but I believe it's on the Wii, Wii U, Switch, 3DS, and PC. That sounds right. Yeah, it might have even had a uh, PS4 port later, but I think it was mostly to Nintendo systems and PC, at, le- at least for a while. Mm-hmm. And the Switch port is pretty recent. Um, I think there's even uh, there's even a Dragon Quest X Switch panel at Tokyo Game Show, so either they're, they're probably updating it soon. Yeah. But, I mean, as such... Uh, I've watched videos and I followed it when it's uh, when it was releasing pretty closely. But other than that, man, I have I know extremely little about Dragon Quest X, right. and uh, I, I haven't tr- even tried to play it. Uh, but because it has so many versions out, like it maybe still has a non-zero chance of coming to the West. Maybe I'm not sure. I've basically I, given up hope. But it's like mathematically non-zero. <laughs> I, would say. I I think that pretty recently. Um... They, they talked about maybe bringing it over in like a, a totally like offline format so you could play it through sort of like try, maybe trying to play like Dragon Quest nine um, now. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it still seems unlikely. Uh, but I mean, maybe if Dragon Quest eleven for the Switch, which is coming out soon, sells well, maybe we'll get a shot at it. I don't think there's any chance of it ever being a fully fledged MMO over here, uh, but I'd play right. it basically in any format they gave it to me. I don't even like MMOs. I, I, I don't play 14 like you. Um, yeah, I didn't. But, I didn't like MMOs until I started playing fourteen yeah. in, uh, uh, three years ago. <laughs> I want to get into fourteen, but you know, so many games, so little time. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I would. I would play it in any format they gave it to me because Dragon Quest Mainline. I, I'm here for it always. Yeah, I, I would too. Um, I'm. I'm not sure. Is there any? Is there like an offline version existing already in in one of its many ports? I, I'm not sure. Uh, maybe I. I don't. I really don't know. Again, I haven't done the deep Dragon Quest X research yeah. in many, many years. Yeah, I really don't know, to be honest with you. I just know that if it, if I had the opportunity, I would play it. As would I, but alas, that's not the case. And Dragon Quest X is, did not really make our uh, cream of the crop <laughs> to, uh, top here. But we, we sort of had, uh, I sort of had this list organized into a couple groups, but we settled on a top five. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the last five games that we talk about in this in this discussion are sort of the the ones that got a lot several votes in mm-hmm. our uh, informal poll that we took. Throwing Dragon Quest Ten aside, the Dragon Quest series also has a ton of spinoff games, mm-hmm. and was maybe one of the original RPGs with spinoffs because it has uh, things like the Mystery Dungeon series going all the way back to uh, the early '90s. Yeah, I mean, um, and the, and then the monster series, I think, sort of was one of the bigger th- one of the things that made it on the map, like put it on the map uh, a little bit more in like the late '90s too. So yeah, it's been. I feel like spinoffs have been around forever with this. Yeah, it's uh, like I said, the first Dragon Quest spinoff that I believe was uh, was Torniko no Daibokken, which is basically <laughs> Torniko's big adventure. Torniko is uh, is uh, he was called Taloon in the in the NES version of Drag of uh, Dragon Quest Four. But uh, or I should say, Dragon Warrior Four. It, it's basically a semi roguelike random dungeon uh, yeah. action game. <laughs> Such and, a strange uh, combination. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it really awesome. is. And, and, and they've had a, a couple starring Tornico, at least I think three. Then another one starring Yangus from uh, Dragon Quest Eight, and then uh, they planned for a new one coming out soon that is uh, starring, I believe, Eric and his sister from Dragon yes. Quest Eleven. Yeah, I believe so. But they, yeah, but that's that's not out that that was just that that was just teased earlier this year, maybe late last year, and uh, 
and, and uh, the Mystery Dungeon series has expanded way beyond that. It's uh, developed by Chunsoft, which which co-developed the first several Dragon Quest games, and they've had a uh, uh, Final Fantasy ones starring Chocobos, <laughs> Pokemon <laughs> ones starring various Pokemon, and uh, a sort of spinoff of into their own uh, IP with the Shiren the Wanderer games. Mm-hmm. Like all of those are under the Mystery Dungeon umbrella, and they somehow started with a Dragon Quest spinoff. Yeah, I mean. I don't really want to play it, but man, it sounds so weird that I might. <laughs> like I admire them. I, yeah. I give. I have the same level opinion that I do about the uh, the Etrian Odyssey games, mm-hmm. just because I appreciate Etrian Odyssey's you know uh, uniqueness and uh, and sort of dedication to the idea of going through a dungeon, then then teleporting out, then trying to get farther in the dungeon. Like like that that spirit of RPG dungeoneering is something I like a lot. And especially hearing uh, some of our mutual friends and RPG fan uh, talking up the Sheer and the Wanderer game, but mm-hmm. the Sheer and the Wanderer Vita game looks really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, but it's still one of these you know mystery dungeon semi roguelikes dungeon crawlers that I don't know if I have the stamina for or at least the time to set aside for it. Yeah, Persona Q is about as far as I can go on that probably. Yeah, <laughs> I respect it, what it does. That's definitely but, the yeah. farthest I've gone on. It's definitely the farthest I've gone on that since I've. Uh, I have about a dozen hours into Persona Q2, and I played the hell out of Persona Q1. It's mm-hmm. uh, I had to get to those Yuzo, uh, Yuzo Koshiro tracks in the credits. <laughs> but uh, you also mentioned Dragon Quest Monsters a few minutes ago. That mm-hmm. came out in the late 90s. It started out as a Game Boy or maybe a Game Boy Color game. Yeah. Uh, the first one was about Terry from Dragon Quest VI, and la- uh, a later one was about Kiefer from Dragon Quest VII, but that was a, that was a GBA game that never came out west. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, there were several for DS and 3DS called Dragon Quest Monsters Joker, and I don't know much about them except that the main character is a uh, spiky-haired waif that looks like a combination of four other Toriyama characters. <laughs> but uh, these games are basically monster training games that are similar to Pokemon because w- you think of monster training, you think of Pokemon. Uh, they came out a couple years after Pokemon did in Japan, and th- they explore the really cool roster of monsters in the Dragon Quest games. But yeah. uh, evolving them or finding new ones is much, much more challenging than just throwing a ball at one in the field. You have to feed your monster specific things and then fuse them together to make more powerful ones. Okay. That sounds cool. And yeah, it, it gets pretty wild. Like there's yeah. versions of slimes and dragons that are not in any other dragon quest game in this dragon quest monsters series and things like the, uh, my favorite monster in dragon quest five, the great dragon was not in any games but, uh, uh, in the main series other than 5 and 11. Mm-hmm. But uh, it has been in the Monsters series for a full two decades. How, so the real question is, how many times have you gotten the Great Dragon in Dragon Quest V? Because I never have. Okay, it's well, so hard. <laughs> slight, I'm slightly embarrassed to say this. It's, uh, it is a 1 in 64 chance, which is on the more difficult side. Yeah. And I've played through Dragon Quest V, I believe, uh, I believe five times. And I have gotten one every single time. <laughs> I got an Archdemon one time just by accident. So that was fun. But other than that, I, yeah. yeah, that, that's fun. Those, those things look powerful yeah, in, in guides, but never, <laughs> I've never gotten powerful. one myself. Yes. And I think uh, uh, the last time I played Dragon Quest V was for the podcast. We did uh, two episodes on it in, in, a, in 2017. And I, I got really lucky. I got a Dragon Quest. I, I got a great dragon in about uh, 15 or 20 minutes. So that's impressive. I've tried. I've never had the patience for it. It's kind of like that sword in Earthbound. I, I just I can never. Yeah, the bring sword of games. Yeah, same idea. I 
got the Sword of Kings once by accident. <laughs> Everybody who is hearing problem, that hates you. The problem with that one is that they, that's in a long dungeon from an enemy that's a slightly challenging encounter, and I think it's a it's a similarly terrible number, one out of sixty four or one out of one twenty eight. Yeah, it's, that, that's brutal. So yeah, uh, we don't need to talk about Earthbound or Dragon Quest V anymore because Earthbound is not in the purview of this episode, and Dragon Quest V we'll get to later. <laughs> um, a couple other Dragon Quest spinoffs of note, I think. Uh, there was the the trio of slime games for GBA, DS, and 3DS. Uh, the second one came westward as Dragon Quest Rocket Slime, and uh, that, that's a really fun little <laughs> top-down action game. <laughs> I've never played it. What's it like? Uh, you, it's top-down action, so it's like a uh, like a two D Zelda. Okay. You are a slime named Rocket who lives in a community of one hundred and one slimes, <laughs> and uh, a, an army comes and kidnaps your whole village. So you have to run around and do like do rolling and some simple kind of uh, like and some simple actions and simple combat to try and rescue the other one hundred slimes of your village. Okay. And uh, occasion occasionally you engage in giant tank battles with these uh, uh, with the platypus monsters and other monsters of the uh of the opposing side that sounds delightful yeah it, it, <laughs> it is super fun yeah it is super cute and fun and if you can track down a copy for cheap i totally recommend it and the uh the third one for three which is the 3ds game that never came westward replaces the tank battles with pirate ship battles oh man which is again 100 my jam and i'm yeah. sad i never got to play it but uh yeah it, it's, it's a very good one I, I, if they came out with a new one on switch i would pre-order that thing in a hot second it's definitely better than one of the mainline games we'll talk about later. So yeah, sounds good. Oh yeah. <laughs> if if we if I was doing a big ranking of Dragon Quest games, slime would probably show up around the middle. Like it, it's 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 a very very cute, fun, good game. Okay, that um, sounds good. But but unfortunately, I can't speak to the GBA or 3DS versions. Uh, let's uh, let's see. More recently, there was uh, two Muso Dragon Quest games mm-hmm. or Dragon uh, Dragon Quest Warriors. Yeah, I can't remember what they're called. I think it's Heroes. I can't remember which one they're called. Dragon Quest Heroes. That's, yeah. it, that's it, right? I want to call them Warriors because I'm used to Dynasty Warriors and Samurai Warriors right, nomenclature. Yeah. And, I, and I, I own both of them, but I can't even say their titles right. <laughs> but but uh, anyway, they are you know big, large-scale action games where you fight hordes of Dragon Quest monsters. You recruit several Dragon Quest uh, uh, side characters in addition to your player character and a couple new characters. It, like If you want just sort of big attack 100 enemies at once action game. Uh, the Muso games are very fun, and these are very good versions of those. Yeah. But, I, I mean, I never... I, I never uh, put a lot of time into these. I, like, I've played the multiplayer of Dynasty Warriors in the 3 to 6 range for dozens of hours, because one of my friends has a uh, is obsessed with Dynasty Warriors. Multiplayer in those is all right, and I'm sure it's good in Dragon Quest Heroes as well. But it's just not a kind of game I enjoy. I mean, it's just uh, for me, it's just like literally hitting X over and over again to win. I, I played a little bit of the first one, um, just because I'm so into Dragon Quest. But it was even with all the callbacks and then the characters, it wasn't enough for me to keep me going. And I'm just like, okay, I can. I have to not have to do anything. Uh, but you see, sometimes it's uh, it's when win. you press how many times you press X before you press triangle for a special move. There you go. Yeah, and exactly. when you press circle to use your meter. <laughs> Yeah, it, it was just, I, it was not for me. Maybe my favorite Dragon Quest game that I've never even played or seen in person is uh, Dragon Quest Monster Battle Road. I've never heard of which this. Which is like, a, uh, it like? a it's, an, it's an arcade game that got a Wii release okay. in Japan only. And uh, you would, you know, you would do something that you do in some, ba- uh, some Japanese arcades. You would buy a card and then every time you play the game, you put your card in and, and it retains your data from your last playthrough. Okay. The two main characters are the twins from Dragon Quest V. And okay. uh, you recruit other monsters and other characters for special for special cards, 
and it's basically card battling dragon quest villains and occasionally you do a big summon sequence that uh that summons a classic dragon quest character and th those summon sequences are why i love this game despite never seeing it in person <laughs> I, okay. I you can youtube the special attacks and monster battle road for days and it's great <laughs> okay that sounds like my jam so of all that, uh, those multitudes of games that we mentioned, I mean, we, I think we only talked about one of the Dragon Quest Monsters games, but there's been like 10 of them. Right. Uh, none of them are really cracking our uh, our top list uh, and weren't really being considered for bet the title of best Dragon Quest game. So let's get to the ones pro the, the proper list now. Um, Zach, two games that are not in our final five are the first two Dragon Quest games, That's one true. and two. I mean, I, I'll be honest, I really like Dragon Quest 1. Um, it, it's short, it's simple, I, I like um, the feel of it. Um, especially, like, I, I played it on mobile, I've played it on all the different versions. I, I, I really like the NES one, just the way it feels, the music, it's kind of got, like, the creepy, uh, like, a creepy vibe to it, um, when Sugiyama actually could, um, I don't know, compose music that didn't suck. Um, yeah, but... Um, Go ahead. Eight bit, eight bit spooky cave tracks are yeah. about peak Sugiyama, as far yeah, as I'm concerned. I agree, um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I like the simplicity of it. I like the fact that you get a choice at the end. Um, the, mm -hmm. the, the the rainbow bridge thing is really cool, um, and it, it embraces sort of what it is in, in a way that I think really works in a surprising way. Yeah, and you can basically boil the whole game down to the world is an eternal night. The princess is captured. You need three items to make a rainbow bridge to fight the dragon lord. Mm -hmm. So you could easily beat this game in five or six hours, and if you're, you know, a pro speedrunner type, probably much, much faster than that. Yeah. And uh, and so I, I think dra playing Dragon Quest One as an as like for educational purposes or to cr just to cross it off your list mm -hmm. list is uh, not a huge ordeal. Yeah, I mean, like it, it sort of functions so much as a template for what every other game does, and so many games sort of play on and riff on those ideas. Um, and it's still fun for me to go back to and sort of see the, the, the designs as they were originally. And it's amazing um, how much of a, uh, you know, Toriyama's work has sort of um, continued forward, especially in terms of his monster design and how amazing it was. And you go back and look at some of the art books for it. And it's just like it, it, so much of the template of the series I love is there from the beginning, even more than I think Final Fantasy. Um, Dragon Quest was mm -hmm. Dragon Quest from the beginning. Yeah, Final Fantasy reinvents itself with every new game or maybe yeah. every couple games. Right. And uh, But Dragon Quest has always been it's always been evolving, but it takes sort of small and medium-sized steps in its evolution, and mm -hmm. it really never uh, uh, breaks away from that those original ideas. And um, part of that, you could you know use that as an insult or use that as a as a compliment. Like it's it, it's comforting how familiar it is while it's st while still evolving. Or hey, it hasn't changed in thirty years. Like <laughs> you could take either angle with it. But I mean, you and I both probably take the positive angle because we <laughs> love this series. Indeed, yes. And uh, again, Dragon Quest One. I, I don't think it's bad, but it's it's definitely a 1986 first ever JRPG, and there's several caveats that come with that. Yeah. But um, the game that came afterwards, Dragon Quest Two, is not meaningfully different from Dragon Quest One in uh, presentation or execution, except that you do have three playable characters, which mm -hmm. is way more than the one from the, from the first game. And uh, but maybe the end game balance is a little off. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I've spent a lot of time on this podcast recently ragging on Dragon Quest Two. Um, oh, we both did, <laughs> and I like it uh, overall. I mean, I really do. I mean, I, it's it's a game that frustrates me 
Um, but it's actually, like I said, I think I've mentioned this earlier, it's the first JRPG, I think, that I beat by myself. I may be misremembering that, but may have gotten some help from my grandparents on this one. But um, I think I beat it by myself the first time. Um, and there are things about it that I like. I mean, I think the story is a little bit more uh, ambitious. I like that they've tried to introduce party balance. They do it really poorly, though, by making your main character do one thing and one thing only, which is hit um and he's also the only he's the most, one. he's the most boring uh main character in dragon quest hi- right. history which is no fault of his dope goggles no but very much the fault of his not having any spells right uh but the problem is that the spells from the other two characters are not that useful and they're both like really um weak and they both go down really quickly so he's still the most useful character despite his inability to do things um the the world is way too large there's not nearly nearly enough markers once you get the ship it's just like just go out and figure it out um and then roan which we've talked about ad nauseum here um is ridiculous um but there yeah, are things road about to roan and roan are yeah. just brutal final There are things I like about it, but I I appreciate the ambition. But again, as as we've mentioned earlier, the ambition outstripped its design. Um, They just didn't understand how to make it better. And the turnaround time was, what, nine, ten months from Dragon Quest one to Dragon Quest two. And I think it came out less than a year. Yeah, they were trying to pump it out too quickly and they didn't play test it nearly enough. (laughs) You could say that Dragon Quest one and two are Irish twins. Yeah, that's true. Yes. (laughs) But the uh, but but yeah, I. I, uh, tried playing both of these on the NES, but I don't think I finished either of them there. I ended up getting the Dragon Quest 1 and 2 collection for Game Boy Color many, mm. many years later. Yeah. Um, and I beat both of them in the early 2000s, or maybe middle 2000s, just because I wanted to, you know, cross them off the list and properly get the uh, full Dragon Quest experience. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't, like, neither of them hold up in 2019, but they're, neither of the, they aren't, like, horrible but i would i i would never ever play dragon quest 2 like uh, yeah. again like i i played it once that was enough it's it's last on my list of ones i want to replay yeah i agree i mean and it's also almost like 20 hours long too i mean it's significantly longer than the first one as well. yeah it's in the it, i would say the 15 20 range yeah. i i don't i did not research how long to beat.com to check but it's a it, it's more and much more ambitious than dragon quest 1 but also but gets really frustrating especially in the second half mm-hmm. i agree but we're going to skip ahead several generations of consoles for a second and uh, talk about another game that's not in our top five, Dragon Quest Nine. Mm-hmm. Um, we did talk about this on an earlier episode. It might have been that same uh, uh, Worst in Show episode. But Dragon Quest Nine was a DS game and had a pretty large online component. Uh, there was an online store where you could uh, use to buy different items. Uh, quests unlocked via both near-field technology and from downloading uh, new stuff on the server every week and i would log into that shop every day uh to try and get the rare materials and special items that came in every week that was a uh, that was a big part of the game mm-hmm. but it was also a totally self-created game you uh you, you design your entire party just just like dragon quest 3 and uh there's a pretty deep class system and and the story's good but uh, but w- since the ds servers are all dead now i think a part of dragon quest 9 sort of died with them yeah i mean it uh, this is uh, of of the mainline games that have been brought over west. It's the only one that I haven't played to completion, and the problem was that I tried to play it um, after the DS server shut down. Um, oh no! And so I liked it. Okay, I mean, I thought it was fine, um, but I was I, thinking about how much I missed. But I think that you know I've talked to people who like played Dragon Quest Nine with other people and just like how amazing that multiplayer experience was. And I think that for some people. It's their favorite Dragon Quest game. Like my, I talked about my grandparents earlier. Like they played, they sat and played Dragon Quest Nine together, and they loved it. Um, but for me, yeah, they, 
it just didn't because I didn't have that. Um, it, it didn't work as well for me. I mostly played it solo, but the handful of times I did play with friends, it was maybe not revolutionary, but definitely eye opening and added a new dimension to the mm-hmm. gameplay that made it a lot more fun. But I mostly played it solo, and again, those downloaded quests and that online shop are a, a pretty crucial part of the game to me. But mm-hmm. it's but it's not bad. Uh, I kind of like how <laughs> you had to find the the fruits that had fallen off the world tree in heaven. and uh, But the problem was each fruit had granted someone's wish and monkeys paw style, the wish twisted into something yeah. out, of, out of control. Okay, yeah, Which I is a, a very, very cute fairy tale concept. Mm-hmm. And uh, it brought us to the Fantastic Magic School segment, the Swine Dimples Academy <laughs> um, part of the game, which was among the most amusing uh, uh, sort of uh, sections of the main quest. And it was a nonlinear main quest that ended up going some pretty cool emotional places at the end. Okay. With, uh, and 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 Corvus is a I would say better than average Dragon Quest villain. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I think this game loses something without the online component, and which is why I'm probably not going to replay it. But if they ever did a remake of this that had it, you know, either online more permanent or just have it be more fully featured, even if you're offline, yeah. I, I would probably play that remake because this oh, game would, was a little sure. technology limited, and Nintendo had not figured out online in 2009 or whenever this game came out. Yeah. And um, it, it, it's a good, fun game that I wouldn't mind revisiting, but not in its current state. If it, like, this is, especially since every Dragon Quest game from 1 through 8 has been remade multiple times, I think this is the, the game in the series most uh, ripe for a remake. Yeah, I think you bring it to the Switch even and add a little bit of online functionality and just kind of clean up the graphics a little bit. I think people would go wild for it. I mean, Dragon Quest yeah, 100%. Is, I would, I, yes, yeah. absolutely. I mean, it's, it's bigger. And, and, it, and it's been so long. It's been long enough that I would, that I would not feel bad about a replay. Um, Dragon Quest VI is not in our top five. It's one that would have been and, close for me, though. I, I like it more than you do, I think. Yeah, I, I, um, I don't look at it as highly as a lot of other games in the series. Um, I, I think it's a, it's a good Super Nintendo RPG. It's uh, longer. It's the longest game in the series, other than uh, other than seven and eleven, I think. It sort of expands upon the. Dragon Quest three class system in a pretty big way, mm-hmm. and it introduces the it, it, it was they brought this back in Dragon Quest seven where you um have characters fight battles within one class and then you unlock more classes by mastering classes yeah so it's much it's much slower than a Final Fantasy job system, but it uh it you it builds to a pretty impressive end game once you have a bunch of classes under each character's belt, but I I, I don't love six because i think the characters feel a little bland like hassan and milieu right at the beginning are pretty uh are, are pretty likable and terry near the end is good but like i don't remember feeling anything about uh about barbara's personality and i can't even remember the name of the monk kid that joins you oh man i don't remember either now that you're saying that yeah i don't remember. yeah it's it's like i, I think dragon quest six is good and but doesn't have the personality of my favorite dragon quest games um but the one thing that's great about dragon quest six is the dream world concept yeah I agree. That, that is so cool. That, like you, you live in a sort of a real world, and then sort of floating above in the clouds is a dream world, which is composed of everyone's dreams. So the uh, a boy that is sick in his bed all day in the real world has a magical flying bed in the dream world, and um, of the ruins of a of a castle where, with one descendant of like the castles of a knight uh, lamenting the fallen kingdom in the real world, the castle is thriving and real in the dream world. Mm-hmm. So several situations like that play about, and you tra- and you traverse the world by traveling between the real world and dream world, where you know there might be a, a connection or a bridge in one, but not the other. And uh, 
that story concept is really cool. And once the sort of larger plot and villains take shape, basically after you defeat Mudo slash Murdaugh early on, the game gets a, a lot more dramatic. But I, I think that the characters are sort of below average and the class system, while, while fun, is a little slow moving and not as good as, the, as basically the same version in 7. So, yeah, I don't rate Dragon Quest VI that highly relative to the rest of the games in the series, but it's not bad. If you're, if you're a Dragon Quest fan, it's like, don't avoid this game, but it's just not one of my particular favorites. I mean, I think there are two things it does better than any other Dragon Quest game. I love the post-game boss because um, it's such like a oh, yeah, weird... Oh, yeah, yeah, Nocturnus. Yeah, yeah Nocturnus. Is, is, I think it's the hardest post-game boss outside of maybe Dragon Quest VIII's very um, sort of intense... Um, run that is added to the 3ds version but it's such a cool cool um, thing that like it comes up for like yeah like he, he's very hard minutes. uh uh may, probably the final dragon quest 8 3ds ones are harder yeah. uh and i think that the high level grotto bosses in dragon quest 9 are harder okay yeah but I mean, uh, but, but nocturnus is a real is a real mofo of yeah. a of a post-game boss <laughs> and one of the maybe one of the first post-game bosses i've ever even heard of yeah um, and it's just so cool, like that. It's like this, like fifteen-minute thing that you see in one of the side stories, and then he comes back. Um, I, I think it's really fun, and I also love that you get to travel around on a bed. I know we didn't talk about it for best transportation. We should have um, the idea that you're flying around on a bed is really cool to me. Um, but otherwise, I, I think that it's it, it it sort of functions as a template for. Uh, Dragon Quest Seven, which I like better, which we'll talk about in a moment. Um, but I like the small side stories um, that you get. Um, I think that it, mm. it does that better than any game except Seven, um, in terms of like sort of the emotional stories that you get within them. Um, and I like the job system too. Um, I mean, it's really easy once you get to the end. You know, you're going to have to break it in like really specific ways in order to bring take down Nocturnus. Um, but I thought the character designs were pretty cool, and I love the dream system or the dream world system, mm. which kind of gets pulled a little bit for Chrono Cross in some ways. Um, but overall, I thought the, art, bit, sure. the yeah. art, art style in the Super Nintendo I thought was amazing. Um, you know, outside of Chrono Trigger, it's my favorite art style in the Super Nintendo. Um, so I like it a lot, but it, it, it certainly falls short of, you know, maybe four or five others for me. You want to talk, you want to talk about a uh, favorite art style in the Super Nintendo? My favorite is probably Psycho Nintendo 3, which uh, we talked about on this podcast. we did, yes. Uh, a few months ago. Um, you mentioned these sort of side stories and like the segmented nature of the story. I think that's true of a lot of Dragon Quest. Like, you'll sort of find a new uh, continent or a, f- a new region. You'll resolve the problem of that region and then move on. It, like, sometimes Dragon Quest gets a little bit dungeon town, dungeon town, dungeon town. Yeah. And uh, those those individual anecdotes, um, are, are, like, you know, they vary in quality, of course. But I think that that's how Dragon Quest has always been designed. And is uh, the, the anecdotes in 6 are good. I, I think they're better in 7 and 11 and, and, uh, and several other games in the series. But like six is again a good version of that, and it's not a bad game. I don't want to sound like I'm, I dislike it. I just, I just don't. It's not in my top five. Yeah. Clearly outside the top five, personally. Yeah, I mean, I think in six that they feel more so, like six and seven. I think feel the most self-contained. I mean, I think there was a design by the same people, right? Six and seven were, if I'm not mistaken. Possibly. I mean, they, they have they have a near identical class system, right. but with a but with you know different. Uh, you know, different names and different paths. I, I believe they were. And to me, they feel more self-contained in those two games than they do in others. But yeah, I mean, I this, to some degree, I know that that's something that happens in all of them. But I feel like the stories are a little bit more poignant in 6 and 7 than they are in other places. Um, and they feel more disconnected from sort of the overall narrative in some cases, which is sort of your mileage could vary on how much you like that. But for me, that kind of worked. Mm, maybe. But we'll talk about uh, those disconnected stories in 7 very soon. Yeah. Um, but we're, we only have six Dragon Quest games left to talk about, so we're going to talk. So we're going to discuss the last one that is outside our special top five. 
and that's Dragon Quest IV. I like DQ4 a lot. I, I, I might like, I probably like it more than some of the games in our top five, which again, we're a compiled vote. But uh, you basically have characters that all, you know, easily inhabit one of the classes from Dragon Quest III, and you get, or you're introduced to these characters, some one by one, some in pairs, with these, with these four starting chapters. So you get, you get the backstory to all of the side cast uh, to start. And then in chapter five, which is about half of the game, you recruit these, you, you're the main character of chapter five is a hero is the hero, which can be a male or female, just like in dragon quest three. And uh, you recruit the characters in the reverse order that you met them in their chapters. Mm-hmm. So it's basically a, a normal dragon quest game that gives more context and more backstory to its side characters. And I think the character designs and, and team designs are just delightful in dragon quest four. Like the, the, uh, uh, Tornico, who got his own series of spinoffs, is a is a jolly uh, chubby merchant. And you have Ragnar McRyan, the knight, uh, Princess Elena, the fighter, who's one of the all time Dragon Quest kick ass ladies. Oh yeah. And um, the, I, the total cast is around eight. And then the uh, you also get a baby dragon that joins you for part of the end game. Mm-hmm. That's he's sort of the 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 forgettable final side character. And in the DS version of Dragon Quest Four, you can get a new end game scenario where. Uh, where Sorrow, the main villain of DQ4, comes to his senses and joins your party to fight a true villain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like Sorrow is a great villain. The cast is great. It, it's still a very simple sort of a NES RPG. And there's honestly, I think, more complexity and exploration in Dragon Quest Three. But it, it's a really satisfying arc. And it was the first Dragon Quest game I beat. I, it, when I Of all the ones I rented uh, on the NES in the 90s, it was the one I got the furthest in. It, it was the one that for, sort of first sparked my interest in the series in a real yeah. way. I mean, to me, it feels like sort of a template for Super Nintendo RPGs. Like, the fact that it's an NES RPG, when I go back and look at it, just, like, the quality of the storytelling and how ambitious it is, um, Mm -hmm. it's very difficult for me to sort of, like, cognate that it's an NES one. But the thing that holds it back for me, in the NES version at least, is the AI from your party. Um, Oh, God, they're awful. Especially especially Kristoff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Kirill makes a lot of really terrible mistakes. Um, It's like they're casting death spells on people that it's obviously not going to work on. Um, but, you know, it, it it feels so much bigger uh, in storytelling than any any NES RPG by, like, a mile. Um, so, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I really like that element of it. I think that the characters are really cool. Like, the feeling of recruiting them when you know them already. Like, I remember that feeling of getting, like, Ragnar the first time. It was super exciting for me. Um, so I like it a lot. Um, I, I think the DS version improves on it pretty dramatically. Um, the post- yeah, especially as you can control your uh, party members, yeah. like you mentioned. Yeah. Or, or, or at least set AI behaviors for them. So like you won't have Kirill ca- uh, casting uh, whack or thwack. Right. They were called beat and defeat oh, in yeah, the yeah. NES version. Yeah, okay. And he was called Christo instead of Kirill. Oh, yeah. Okay. So like I would... I remember going through endgame parts of the game just like, damn it, Christo. He was just, he was just trying to cast defeat and it would against a boss and it would miss. And then I'd have to reload and go through the dungeon again and bring along Nara instead of Christo yep. just because she was a non idiot with her, even though she didn't have as, as many powerful healing yeah. spells. He's like the second best character in the DS version. Um, but in the NES one, I, I think I never had him on my party. It was so long ago. It's hard for me to remember. Yeah. But... Yeah, he has the most powerful healing magic. He can equip yeah. uh, pretty good armor and weapons. Yeah, and is uh, should, if anything, be unbalanced and way too powerful. Except that his he's held back by moron AI. I wonder if that was a deliberate choice. Yeah, maybe that's really poor game design if that's the case. But yes, maybe so. But I mean, uh, I, I liked him as a character. and I, I like the DS version a lot. But 
to me, I, the storytelling is still a little more simplistic than some of the other ones. That's why I like some other ones better. But I do have a lot of positive nostalgia for uh, Dragon Quest Four. Yeah, Dragon Quest Four is good. It's not in our top five, but we have arrived. The, uh, these are the top five that we considered for our number one spot. So we're not going to go in ranking order. We're going to go in chronological order through uh, three, five, seven, eight, and eleven. And then after we talk about Dragon Quest Eleven, we'll uh, reveal the one that we. Uh, privately voted on and chose as our winner. So, uh, staying in the NES realm for the moment, Dragon Quest Three. I didn't play this until uh, to completion many years after uh, I had fe- I had beaten Dragon Quest Four. I played it on the uh, on the Game Boy Color, and it, but it also had a a, a SNES remake, a mobile port, um, and, and there's several ways to play Dragon Quest Three, mm-hmm. and it, it was the super popular. Uh, one in Japan that inspired that rule that Dragon Quest games only release on weekends. That, 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 wasn't, that wasn't a law. That was just uh, um, like local police forces asking, <laughs> asking Square Enix if they, could release Dra- if they can release Dragon Quest 3 on a weekend because they were concerned about people missing school and work. Okay, this is sort of a side note, but is that because I've read uh, lots of people who have said that's like an urban legend that isn't true. Some people say no, it, it is true. Like, I'm never okay. sure. The- the What's urban the okay, I, I talked about this with Kim Wallace at uh, at E three a couple of years ago, okay. and she had in, and she interviewed Dragon Quest Eleven staff uh, asking this question, and they clarified it for her. Okay, the urban myth is that it's a law in Japan. It, that is not true. Okay. There is no law that says Dragon Quest uh, games can only release on weekends. But after Dragon Quest three released, so many people miss work in school that before Dragon Quest four, uh, like the I think it was like the Japanese like. Ministry of Police or something asked e- asked Enix directly, "Hey, can you only release these on weekends? Because it was a big problem when so many people missed work in school. Okay. So it was an informal request, and uh, but and not a law and not a direct order. So is it something but, they still do then? Like they still release yeah, Dragon Quest on Saturdays? Okay, I, I believe so. Um, I haven't heard any news to that contrary. Okay, but anyway, back to Dragon Quest Three. It uses all generic characters. You have a male or female hero then that that cannot change class. And then you can recruit characters of your choosing through uh, um, Ruida's Tavern, which I think is, a, is called par- uh, Patty's Party Planning Place <laughs> in, in recent translations. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, and, the, and at the tavern, you can recruit characters in a uh, handful of jobs. I think, I think the total number is eight or nine. And they added the thief job for the SNES version, and, uh, which made it also made its way to the Game Boy Color version. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and, and your... Um, your character, the hero, cannot change class, which doesn't matter because the hero is powerful as hell. But the others can change class by uh, going back to level one in their new class. All of their stats are halved, and, but they keep the spells that they learned in their original class. So you can, you know, uh, level up as a priest for up until, say, 30, and then switch to knight. And you'll be a knight, and you'll, and you'll start gaining a bunch of HP and attack power. We'll still have the half of the high MP that you had as a priest, and you'll learn all the spells that you learned as a priest. So it's not exactly starting over and, and resetting the clock the way class changing works in Dragon Quest Nine or in Final Fantasy Fourteen. But it's uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of funky business you can do with that. And uh, and cl- classic moves again are giving healing spells to a fighter or, or a soldier. Uh, you know, changing from a mage or a priest to a sage to you know just to be an even more powerful magic user. And of course, there's the uh, the goof off or jester class, which <laughs> has low stats and sometimes doesn't obey orders and is just terrible in general. But it can level it can change to a sage, the most powerful magic class, without the use of a special item. So mm-hmm. 
it, it's the easiest way to get a free sage is to level up a goof off to 20. Yeah, I think that's what I did last time I played it, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So yeah. So um, that's an overview of how, the, of how the classes work in Dragon Quest Three. But the actual quest part of it, I think, is really, really great. I agree. And it's incredibly forward-thinking for a NES game. Mm -hmm. uh, very early on, you're tasked to look for six orbs. They're scattered all over the world. And you basically non-linearly uh, go town to town, learn more things, get new items, and uh, and sort of discover where each of the orbs are hidden. And they're not they're not like in in six big towers in opposite corners of the world. Like one of them is a uh, one of them a, a prisoner has it in jail, and you have to talk him into giving it to you. One of it was buried by pirates, and you have to find the pirates' map and find the coordinates where it's buried. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. There is at least one or two where you have to go to the, where you have to go to the end of a castle or a tower and fight a boss for it. But uh, th th that main quest of six orbs, which is brought back a little bit in Dragon Quest Eight and a lot in Dragon Quest Eleven, yep. is really really cool. I, yep. I, uh, I I love that as sort of a main thrust to the first half of the story. Oh, no, I agree. I, I think that it, there's a simplicity to it, but also like uh, it, it drives you forward. You know what you're doing um, and it does a way better job kind of sort of talking about Dragon Quest 2 with Dragon Quest 3 of giving you hints about where it is you're even supposed to go. Um, they they yeah, definitely there are, bread, um, there are breadcrumbs. It's still right. a yeah, it's still an SRPG. So it's going to be parts of it are going to be a little bit uh, obtuse. But but in Dragon Quest 3, if you go to every town and talk to everyone, which is definitely a goal of the designers yeah, of every Dragon Quest game, yes. then, then you will be able to figure things out mostly. And, uh, and the gimmicks and tricks that it uses, I, I think, are, are smart and um, mm -hmm. extremely forward-thinking for a NES game and mostly hold up in 2019. Like, it, this is a game that feels much more sophisticated than uh, 1989 or 1988, whenever it came out. Oh, absolutely. And actually, uh, full disclosure, I don't think I ever beat Dragon Quest three until maybe a year and a half ago, um, like for the first <laughs> time ever. Um, I, it was like uh, when I tried to play it on the on the NES, uh, the class system foiled me when I was an eight year old. There's no way I could handle it. Um, yeah, but, I definitely uh, didn't figure out character creation or the class set system yeah. when I was playing it in the 90s. But and, and again, I didn't beat it until I got the Game Boy yeah. Color version many years later. Yeah, it was I, I gave up on it very early on. But, you know, going back to it about a year and a half and I um, played the SNES version. Um, I was amazed at how um, well the class system worked and, you know, how well they they sort of perfected here, I think, the NES design, whereas Dragon Quest Four feels more like a, a template for an SNES game. This feels like, okay, we've taken what we've learned from Dragon Quest One, Dragon Quest Two. we're going to add some wrinkles into it, um, and, and we're going to outdo anything that Final Fantasy is doing right now, uh, which I thought they did very yeah. effectively with that. Yeah, Dragon Quest Four is more character driven, while Dragon yeah. Quest Three is more concept driven. Yeah. And uh, it, and but it has smart quest design. And in the second half of the game, this is a, a spoiler for a game that's thirty years old now. Um, it takes you into the world of Dragon Quest One. Yeah. You, you realize that there's a sort of been a shadow monster that's uh, the the monster that had been tormenting your world is really just a servant of Zoma, the a, a real demon lord. And uh, you you jump into Soma's, Soma's world, to, sorry Zoma's world, to try to defeat him for the last time, and it's the world of Dragon Quest One. You recreate some of the steps of Dragon Quest One's basic quest. <laughs> yep. Um, including gathering the legendary equipment, and you also uh, meet your father there, who had uh, fallen into a crevice in the in the the prequel cutscene to Dragon Quest Three. So it's a uh, a huge dramatic finale in the last quarter or so of the game mm -hmm. with, with this really solid um six orbs quest taking up sort of the bulk of the main story and then you, you you go to baramos's castle and defeat him and then and then there's the big zoma reveal it's this is a cool um nest rpg that feels way ahead of its time and uh 
which is why I, I rate it quite highly. It's um, I don't know if we were condensing this to a top four, I think this would finish fourth for me. But uh, yeah, I love Dragon Quest three, and, it, and it's also not over long. It's probably in that uh, fifteen to twenty hour range. Yeah, that's, that's that about right. When I played it yeah, um, recently, that was say about twenty how long hours. So it's a, it's it's not so disgustingly long that it would scare me away from a replay. Yeah, and and the twist at the end is amazing too. I mean, it's, I think it's the first great great twist uh final fantasy ones being a not so great twist with garland um but this one uh felt uh earned it felt it 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 made total sense that the idea that you are playing as Erdrick, you know the, the legendary hero of dragon quest one it felt very earned yeah. oh yeah yeah that's right i forgot to mention that yeah it, it feels very earned it feels um like it, it makes sense um it, it's just a really really incredibly cool moment um, and I love, and we'll talk about Dragon Quest XI later, the way they tie that all together with Dragon Quest XI, too. I just thought it was brilliant. Yeah, it's Dragon Quest Three is excellent. But uh, again, it's in our top five, so of course it's excellent. Yeah. But speaking of fives, Dragon Quest uh, Five is the next chronological game in our top five. And, oh man, you want to talk about a game that's character-driven. How about Ooh. the hero's journey in this game? Oh man. <laughs> I mean, it, I, there are like, I replayed this again, again, about a year and a half ago, and there are some moments in there that are as effective from an emotional perspective as like any RPG, in my opinion. Um, that, 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 that sequence with the statues, I, I mean, I, I, it's, it's just a masterclass in storytelling. It, it's amazing. Yeah, God, <laughs> the whole, your time as a statue, you do not get into a single fight or an encounter, but it's just a, it, it's just a, a beautiful middle chapter of a movie. Yeah. It's, well, it's stunning. It. It's, it's yeah. an incredible set of cutscenes, and yeah. the the scene where um where, where your father Pancras or Papas dies uh, at the end of part one. I sort of think of this game as uh, as in four parts. Mm-hmm. Um, is is just like it, I think I gasped the first time I played this because I I had not been spoiled on most of this game. I was it was a complete shock to me. Yeah. I mean, the, the the storytelling here, I think, is so much so much better than it is in any other Dragon Quest game that it's it's silly because <laughs> I think it's one of the yeah. best RPG stories. Period. Um, and you know, the way it inverts our expectations, the way it gives us a little bit of choice here and there, um, and just you know how much you care about the protagonists and, and his family. It, it, it's and the monster creation. I'm, I love this game. I'm sorry. <laughs> there's so many. Oh, there's no, so many no. amazing things here. <laughs> Yeah, this is the first big monster recruiting game, to my knowledge, yeah. uh, at around three or four years before Pokemon. Mm-hmm. And um, the bulk of your party is monsters that you uh, that you tame and recruit uh, through most of the game. But by the end, by the very end, you have a you have a pretty large selection of non monsters if you don't if you don't like having slimes and dragons in your mm-hmm. caravan, which is silly because of course you want that. Yeah. But um, the fact that you choose a woman to marry and that affects the uh, hair color of your children, which is, is very cute. And it's an amusing twist that uh, you're not the hero of legend. Yeah, <laughs> you find the hero's sword and hero's shield pretty early, it's but like, you can't wield you them. Can't use you're not it. the hero. <laughs> yeah, it's yep. brilliant. Um, but yeah, but your wife is in the uh, hero's bloodline, and your son is the is the hero of legend. So he gets to equip the coolest Zenithian equipment, which mm-hmm. is a great compromise. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's the. Uh, the big drama in the key scenes of this game, just how much you hate Bishop Laja by the end of yeah. this, by the. Uh, uh, end of the series. I think his name, his name is Gemma or Gemma in the Japanese version, and uh, and then just the moments of of drama and big turning points. It, it's it's an incredible Dragon Quest story and probably the most dramatic hero's journey in all of 
Dragon Quest because you go through a lot. Oh yeah, I mean it, it, it beats you down. I mean, and you have these such such long periods of time where like you're a slave for ten years, um, and the idea that you're like so, like a decent person and dad who like has to work through it, like it it, didn't, it does a brilliant job of, of 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 making us emotionally invested early on. It's so good. You go through his uh, childhood, teenage years, marriage, fatherhood. And you sort of close the loop on the story of your uh, your father who had been searching for your missing mother for decades, mm-hmm. like, uh, or not decades for probably seven years until he until he uh, he dies protecting you. It's an incredible story arc in Dragon Quest V, and mm-hmm. even though it doesn't have a class system or even a very detailed skill system, making it a little more on the uninteresting side action wise, uh, but, but it does have this great monster recruitment and does have this incredible main story. Dragon Quest V is an all time classic. Yeah, I mean, there's so much choice still in the battle system. I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, if you get if you get a golem, you should use the golem, obviously. Um, and if I think you that, want a slime knight and a golem. Yeah, they are yeah. easy to catch and they right. are good the whole game. Right. And the, sl- the slime knight is useful. Um, I think that your son is one of the most powerful characters in the game, and your daughter can be pretty powerful as well. And then if you make the correct choice. Um, Deborah is also really good in battle um, with who you marry. Um, Correct choice. Get that. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I, I think there's still enough choice in there to make it interesting. Yes, there, there, there are good uh, options and choices for party design, but, uh, but I, I still think that, I mean, I, I still like skill systems and class systems a lot. And I, oh, yeah, I agree. And, and if, uh, if Dragon Quest V have, if Dragon Quest V at a rudimentary skill system, I would like it even more. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's enough about Dragon Quest V. Let's move on to Seven, which we've brought up a couple times in this podcast already. Yeah, Dragon Quest Seven it has some really interesting story design. There's time travel, there's sort of world creation, and there's a massive good versus evil conflict that you're sort of uh, putting to a close. It's um, it's it's really interesting. Uh, Basic basics of the story: uh, God and a demon called uh, oh, I don't even remember his name. What was it? Gosh, I can't remember either. Or Orgodomir, that's it. Yeah, yeah Orgodomir. Right. Um, yeah, God and Orgodomir had a huge battle that left both of them exhausted, and then humanity sort of developed while both of these two uh, beings were were resting. And but slowly, Orgodomir's uh, influence had uh, had his army of demons sort of destroying the world piece by piece. And uh, in the present day, at the very beginning of Dragon Quest VII, all that exists is a single island. And uh, so you're a boy on this island, and you have your best friends, uh, Maribel and Kirin. Uh, and Kirin's the prince of the kingdom on the island. And you find a mysterious shrine that has you, and, and I'm skipping a lot of details here, <laughs> that has you pop back in time. Uh, do You have a short adventure on a world that none of the three of you had seen before. And when you pop back into the, into the, uh, into the present... You take the puzzle pieces that you found in an adventure, and when you assemble the puzzle pieces, that uh, basically that land appears in the in the real world, and you quickly realize that by visiting this shrine, you're going back in time and battling the demons of Orgodomir and righting the wrongs of conflicts in the past. Mm-hmm. And by doing that, um, these worlds that were des- these islands and continents that were destroyed become undestroyed in the present. Yeah, and from this, and again, we talked about how Dragon Quest VI, or at least a lot of Dragon Quest games, maybe especially VI, feel segmented. Um, they feel extra segmented in Seven. Absolutely. But then as you complete these puzzles, you literally reassemble the world like puzzle pieces. Yeah. And you see how these 
uh, separate anecdotes in the past tie into the present, and they open up a lot of different a lot of different um, side quests and main quests in the present, and 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 give new context to stuff that you did in the past. It's it's pretty amazing. It's yeah. the it's the longest Dragon Quest game. I mean, the PS1 version takes at least a hundred hours to get yeah. through. And, and and one thing I've I've said on podcasts before, Dragon Quest Seven is great Dragon Quest, but it's also the most Dragon Quest. Yep, <laughs> that, that, you you couldn't put it any better. Yes, I agree. It's uh like Dragon Quest Seven is excellent, but it's a slow burn, and it take and uh, but I have to say I really love the six main characters. Mm-hmm. They're great. Kiefer's great. Yeah. Uh, what's her name? Ash, right? Yeah, I think so. At, yeah. uh, uh, at, no, 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 no. It's it's Ira. Ira. Yeah. yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, it was Ira on the PS1 and Ash in the DS. Okay. In yeah. the 3DS. Yeah. She's excellent. Um, yeah, I think all the characters are great. <laughs> yeah, like Melvin is a statue that you revive, and mm-hmm. he's supposedly the stat the uh, the resting place of a great hero. But really, he's an old man who was who was a great hero, but is maybe a little bit <laughs> past his <laughs> a prime. A little bit creepy. Yeah, <laughs> he's so weird. Yeah, and uh, and then you have uh, Gabo slash Ruff, Ruff. who uh, <laughs> it, 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 <laughs> this so is cool. pretty early in the game, so I don't think this is a spoiler. But uh, th- there's one uh, one of your adventures in the past. A demon curses a village, turning all of the humans into animals and all the animals into humans. Mm-hmm. And Ruff was a uh, was a wolf puppy that got transformed into a human boy. And when you right the wrong of that village and take care of business there, Ruff is still following you around. And when you and you get the demon to reverse the curse on him, but instead of him turning back into a wolf, he just gains the power of speech. Yep. <laughs> so he's a he's, he's a wolf that was turned into a boy and is very very excited about experiencing the world as a yeah. human. He, whenever there's he, he comments on interesting smells and food in a way that's very very sweet. He's, yeah. he's a very good character. He's like, so adorable. The, he's a very good boy. The main yes. characters of Dra- <laughs> yeah, the main characters of Dragon Quest Seven are a really really solid bunch, and I yeah. and I enjoyed all of them. It has again more personality than six in my opinion. For sure. And uh, the whole concept of reviving the world piece by piece and then rebuilding it piece by piece with literally the metaphor of a puzzle. And I, I maybe haven't explained it as well as the game executes it, but it, it's really, really satisfying. The problem is this game just takes so long to get going. On, on the PS1 version, you're oh, on yeah. that starting village doing doing uh, like fetch quests for at least an hour. I mean, I think it's more like four hours because they have these like really long puzzle sequences in there as well. Um, that they cut out of the 3DS version. Um, it, it, they I, simplify them greatly in the P, in the, yeah, in the 3DS. Yeah, they're, they're much easier. Um, yeah, I mean, I never I never beat it on the PS1. I got maybe 50 hours in, and then like I don't know, life happened or whatever. I, I remember liking it, but the 3DS version um, for me was like perfects a lot of the problems, simplifies things, makes the class system not as quite as breakable, but you still can. Um, so I thought the 3DS version was a much better version. So if you've tried the PS1 and didn't like it, try the 3DS version. Works way better. I, I did play the PS1 version for about 10 hours, but I didn't even get to, cl- to the class system. Oh, yeah, it takes like 30 and, hours and the, to get there, yeah. It's, it's That's probably around the 20-hour mark on the PS1 and yeah. the uh, 12 to 15-hour mark on the 3DS. Yeah. Oh, it takes forever. And then even once you get there, they fake you out. And then you have to go to another quest. It's actually the hardest dungeon maybe in the whole game in order to it's actually get classes. one of the hardest classes. parts of the whole game is, yeah. is, is right before you get classes. But after you get classes, you're much more powerful. And the, the game the game isn't exactly a cakewalk, but it's an unusual difficulty spike right around uh, yeah. when you first find classes. Um, but and, and also you mentioned how it's more breakable in the PS1 version. I yeah. haven't played far enough to do it, but basically it takes... Uh, like about 30 to 50% longer to level up classes in the PS1 version. Mm-hmm. But you permanently keep some stats right. and all spells and attacks right. class to class. While in the 3DS version, 
you automatically you, you permanently learn all of the spells and skills of your level one base classes. Mm-hmm. But in uh, in level two, at, in the level two and level three classes, you don't permanently learn those skills, but you relearn some of them in level three. So it's again, it's less breakable, but still very very powerful. Yeah, and they have, in the 3DS version, you can like download these tablets that allow you to go in and battle like specific kinds of monsters, um, and that makes it a yeah, lot easier but- to grind those out too. Yeah, it's similar to the map system in Dragon Quest Nine. Yeah, uh, but it's more, but it's more encounter specific, and they, it lets you if you're if you're smart and check some guides, then you can specifically target uh, <laughs> types of monsters uh, for your for your leveling needs or your uh, or your job or your item needs, mm-hmm. which is which is cool. Again, that was sort of slightly unnecessary online side content, but uh, the, the real meat of that 3DS remake is playing a more streamlined version. Of the longest Dragon Quest game, yeah, it's a Dragon Quest. But I mean, I I, I complain about its pace and its length a, a little bit already. But Dragon Quest Seven is still excellent. I, I love the rebuilding the world mechanic. The mm-hmm. the anecdotes from island to island and and you know puzzle to puzzle are really really strong. That one with Gabo and the and the village of people that turned into animals is just one of. I don't know, maybe 20. There's so much story in this game. Oh, yeah. I mean, to me, outside of Dragon Quest V, I I like the story here better. I think the overarching story is, in terms of, like, the church is actually bad, is one of the better versions of that. Um, It doesn't happen (laughs) because it's such a common trope. But I I think that the storytelling Mm -hmm. within each of those little vignettes um, is much stronger than it is in Dragon Quest VI. And I think that I love that when you restore the island, sometimes it doesn't work out the way you hope it does like sometimes you go back yeah no no it's it's not uh, it doesn't neatly wrap everything in a bow right i think it's really mature in storytelling um and i love the way that some of the um stories as you go interweave as you know more islands like sort of that are next to each other come together and you can see the way the world the world building is really excellent and i think the storytelling and the characters are the most mature outside of dragon quest 5 i think that dragon quest 7 has the second best story to me and i love the class system here and also, there's recontextualization. Like in, in yeah. several of those story vignettes, you meet uh, like you know a tribe that worships a specific spirit. Mm-hmm. But then, but then, uh, like late in the game, you realize that these these separate uh, groups of worship actually are sort of connected to a larger whole. And you yeah. need to, and and you need to, you know, and there's a reason that Orgodomir specifically targeted specific areas when he was taking over the world. Mm-hmm. And it, again, it like you're literally assembling the world piece by piece, and it gives new context and new stories and interweaving stories. The more the more pieces you revive, it's mm-hmm. a it, it's really quite brilliant. And I uh, I like Dragon Quest Seven a lot. I beat it right when it came out in like in like ten days or two weeks or something. That's it was I I, I really really no life that thing. <laughs> I mean, I think the 3DS version is only like seventy hours, maybe, but still, it's impressive. Yeah, like sixty-five to seventy. When I say only, I, I, beat it, I beat it right at like I think it was like sixty-six hours or something. Yeah, it tells you how much they cut out of the PS One PS One version. They, they did cut out. They did yeah. cut out even some story segments. Like yeah. I remember going through a part of the game that I had uh, that I did remember from the PS One version, and the storytelling was different. I think there was fewer cutscenes. Mm-hmm. I also love the post-game boss in this game. The fact that it's actually the Almighty, oh, yeah. and he's so like goofy and weird, and he's actually really yeah. challenging. But it's such a strange fight, and you have to beat him like seven times to actually do the post-game all the way, which is a little annoying. But um, he was challenging enough that I found it entertaining. Well, he, he's kind of like fighting the uh, the Wishing Dragon at, in the post-game of Dragon Quest Three. Yeah, um, <laughs> where where every time you fight him, you you get him to. I think it either grant you one wish or or complete one task. They also bring this back a little bit for Dragon Quest Eleven. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that's Dragon Quest Seven. Um, let's move over 
um, about I guess I think I guess it was about five years and one console generation to Dragon Quest Eight. Yep. Now this was the game that probably was the biggest popularity spike in Dragon Quest history. Oh, for sure. It was the first Dragon Quest game to get released in Europe, and uh, was the first one that had a new translation um, in in something like five years uh, for its North American release. And it even had a, a package in with a demo for Final Fantasy XII, which was an extra incentive for people to try it. It was a smart and, move on, on their part, yeah. Yeah, but on top of all that, it, ended, it was just a really, really good RPG. Yeah. And, um, and, and I think was, again, sparked some new popularity for the series in uh, territories outside Japan, which it already, in which it already was a cultural touchstone. Yeah. I think that for a lot of people, uh, like friends of mine who are sort of vaguely into RPGs, but, you know, aren't um, intense uh, the way that maybe you and I are about the series, um, they, they played this one for the first time. And it, it just, it, it oozes so much charm. The art style is amazing. Um, it, it still holds up today. I mean, I think that this or 11 are probably the two most popular at this point, And there's a good reason for that. I think 8 might still be the most popular. Yeah. Uh, but but uh, 11 has a lot of recency bias working in its favor. Yeah. But Dragon Quest Eight. uh First of all, it just looks good. It, mm-hmm. it uses cell shading and a fully 3D space, and it's just uh, it's like a beautiful cartoon in action. While Dragon Quest VII on the PS1, I mean, did look like a dressed-up Super Nintendo game, yeah. and, and visually is not very impressive. But uh, Dragon Quest VIII also was the first time bringing uh, combat somewhat out of the first person. You can see your characters do attacks, and you can see the characters holding the weapons that you're equipping them. So that, like modern, modern amenities like that were a huge step above Dragon Quest Seven, and uh, on top of that, I think it has a very competent skill system mm-hmm. and just a, and a really good set of story and characters. Like this is just a good RPG that is maybe the full the first fully realized uh, version of the, these Toriyama designs, like mm-hmm. the, the slimes and drakies and uh, and moles and everything sort of move and have uh, and like it, it, it look, it's it's cool and beautiful instead of just satisfying from an RPG's perspective. Right, I, I think that um, it, it, I, I always like that sort of cel shaded art style. It always holds up. Like Tales of Vesperia still holds up because for that same reason, from a graphical perspective, I think it's great. But I think that the voice acting for us really probably helped bring it to life a lot. Um, Yangus is such an iconic character because of I think his voice acting. So I think that was a smart move on their part. I to think add the voice that acting in. was only in the. Uh, only in the North American and Correct. worldwide versions yeah. first. Yeah, and that was yeah. a smart move on their part to make it more popular over here. I think they gussied up the menus a little bit, which is also yeah, really they, smart on their part. Yeah, they, they gave um, the uh, uh, Western versions a full cutaway menu instead of the black bars, uh, black boxes with white bars um, mm-hmm. that were also in the Japanese version. They also gave a fully orchestrated soundtrack instead of the MIDI version, which prob- which Sugiyama probably didn't like because <laughs> he's, a, he's a hateful old man. Right. Um, but yeah, the, but, the, the characters are really lovable here. I think the characters are better in Dragon Quest Eight than anywhere else. Um, I think that they're all Yangus and Jessica are two all-timers. I love I them so much. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I, I think that they're both um, just really uh, fascinating. They're, they're not defined by the tropes that sort of um, spawned them. Um, and they all um, just have, the, the game just has like a beating heart that I feel like you can sort of touch because the characters are so um, lovable, which I think is what really sells this game. Agreed. And um uh, I mean, the main characters are the hero, Yangus, uh, Jessica, and Angelo. And Angelo is, I, I don't love him as much as Jessica or Yangus, but he's still great. Mm. And the 3DS version increases the playable party by 50%. Yeah. They add Red and Mori, who are 
are, are, are likable and fun. They aren't necessary to join your party the way the other four are, mm-hmm. but they're, they're, I would call them welcome additions. Yeah, I mean, I think they're the second and third most powerful characters in the game, so they're definitely helpful, they, especially they for some them of that. They very high. Yeah, <laughs> they're, they're powerful. Especially for that post-game. I, I mean, just getting using tension with the right, the right way with those two. Um, I, I love, and it brings me to the battle system. This is my favorite battle system. I love the tension system. I think it's way more strategic than what you get in 11, um, and I, I love like the way that you have to um, sort of pull different pieces together and sort of time things out in a very particular way in order to unleash attacks in the right way. I, I, certainly the skill system isn't as robust as 7, but in terms of the actual battle system in battle, it's my favorite. I think it's excellent. Agreed. It's a it's a the battle system and is very well realized. The skill system gives you a lot of customization. Each character has sort of a five categories of skills to throw points into, and you and even if you level all the way up to ninety nine, you only get three hundred fifty points. So you you have to make choices. You can't just easily max mm-hmm. out everyone unless you and, farm um, skill seeds, which is insane. But I know no, people yeah, who have done it. That, that's brutal. <laughs> the, uh, well, or do that if that's what you want. But it's a right. it, it, it's it, it's a large time investment to max out anyone in this game. Where in Dragon Quest Eleven, it's much easier. Mm-hmm. Uh, the tension system and the skill system are really really smart rpg design and it makes your player choice feel very efficacious but maybe even better in the 3ds version they refine the skill system a little bit they actually show you what how many points it takes to get skills Mm -hmm. when it was a bit of a blind draw in uh in the ps2 version which i think was a positive change and also enemies appear on screen in the 3ds version so you don't have to walk back and forth in hopes of fighting a metal slime you can avoid monsters you don't want to fight and then chase after those metal slimes yourself Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a spot outside of like the uh, dragon's den area in the post game where I just like ran back and forth to get the king metal slimes over and over again. So yeah, it was much easier to grind up if you need to in this game. Yeah, it's um, it made the grind easier and the uh, and the skill system easier, which were two. You know, the grind is a bit of a problem in the PS2 version, and the skill system is a highlight. So improving both of those things is is very welcome. But I mean, we talked about the characters and the mechanics a lot. This story is really sweet. Mm-hmm. It's very cute. You're the um, the princess is turned into a horse, and the king is turned into a troll, and you're their loyal knight trying to trying to cure them. And then things, you know, escalate and escalate, and it, it becomes a world saving conflict at the end against a demon lord because of all, of course it is. But I think that it's a it, it's a really really good story escalation. I don't think the story is as satisfying as five, and maybe not the parts of it aren't quite as satisfying as seven. Yeah, I agree. But uh, eight has a really, really great story. Mm. And Dolmagus is a, maybe the best Dragon Quest villain uh, outside of uh, Bishop Laja, I guess. Well, I think that Laja and Sara are a little bit more, uh, a little bit more well-realized villains than Dolmagus. Um, maybe because they're more present. I mean, Laja just commits more horrible things <laughs> yeah. to the main character. <laughs> yeah. And, and Sara has, even though he's, you know, I mean, the final boss of a NES game, he has a real arc and real motivation that mm-hmm. you can find by, uh, you know, by just going through the story and maybe talking to a few yeah. NPCs that he, and, and he seems like he's uh he has more sort of background to him than dual Magus does, but dual Magus as a presence that you're always chasing and they do the sort of jaws and Sephiroth thing where you yeah. don't see a lot of him until it's, until it's really, until, you know, the action is really present. Mm-hmm. But, uh, the fight against Illumagus is really satisfying. Mm, I agree with you. I mean, I think it's the, one of the best fights in all of Dragon Quest, and I, I, the post-game version of him is really difficult, too. It'd be like level 99 to take him down. Um, I, and I think he, he's, he's, he's a little Kefka, definitely. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, a lot Kefka, probably. So I think that, that sort of knocks him down a notch. But I think that his presence is so strong, and the atrocity that he commits before the game starts 
um, is so um, large that I think that it makes him a really strong villain. But I, I certainly agree that Lodja is is a stronger villain. Yes. Well, yeah, he turns uh, the entire um, home kingdom of the hero into stone slash thorns. Right. The way that you're sort of always chasing him until it comes into a head in, in that temple, uh, and and the, the, even the first boss fight against him is pretty challenging. Mm-hmm. Like you got to be it. Uh, you'll get smoked if you don't have a good means of all healing, like mm-hmm. uh, yep. like a uh, like the multi heal spell. Yep, that happened to me the first time through. I remember that. <laughs> yeah, me too. I had to level up, and I I I think I checked a guide or something like, oh, uh, Angelo learns multi heal at level I don't remember. It was in the late twenties or maybe right at thirty. Yeah, and uh, and so I gr- the first time I had to grind the whole game was to, to get a healing spell, so I just so I could survive a couple of Dulmakas attacks. Yeah, and uh, again, it's a really satisfying boss fight. He's a really good villain. He ends up not being the ultimate villain of the game. Right. The final boss battle is, isn't that great, but the final castle is really cool. I really mm-hmm. liked the castle in, yeah. uh, in Dragon Quest VIII. And, and the post game is really strong, too. I think it was the first one that yes. added some meaningful story to it as well. Um, you really haven't beaten that game similar to Eleven, of course, um, until you've played that, at least the Dragon Trials. This one, like you mentioned, has a lot of story, mm-hmm. and, it gives you, and it gives you context for the, uh, for the hero's... Um, uh, ancestry and and introduces a really cool area of the game. I, I don't want to spoil it here, but the, the post game in Dragon Quest Eight is really strong. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah, I like it a lot. But moving on, Dragon Quest Eleven, which uh, came out in 2017 in Japan, then 2018 worldwide, and we're getting a uh, Switch remake very very soon. Uh, I think later this month. Yeah, 21st. I think sounds about right. Sure, sounds right. I, I was blown away by this game. Oh, it, yeah. it uh, again, it, it's like Dragon Quest VIII in that it's a fully realized 3D world with beautiful environments and great character animation, which is you know the first time this has happened since Dragon Quest VIII. But everything just looks incredible, mm-hmm. and and they, they they removed some Dragon Quest traditionalism that surprised me. You can save in more places than just an inn, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like Dragon Quest IV in that each character is basically one of the classes from three. Yeah. But it's kind of like eight because the, every character has individualized skill systems. Mm-hmm. The end result is just eight characters that feel very unique, both in personality and in battle. Yeah, and I I love all eight of them. This is it's such a good cast. Oh yeah, I mean I think um, can, can we talk about the eighth character here, or we yeah. want to hold that? Um, okay, well the eighth character is a secret character because the game is so recent. I want to avoid talking okay, about it. But there is one character that that joins later than the other seven. Okay, fair enough. And uh, and 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 that character is very very good and um, and and, and recontextualizes uh, the role of certain characters in the first third of the game. Basically, the game is in three acts, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I guess you could call Act Three the whole post game, but yep. it's. Oh boy, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, it's really not even a post game. Um, it's with yeah, thirty. It's, it's really thirty hours. Three and not a post game. Yeah, it's thirty hours. Um, and that's where all the because uh, one thing that I think makes Dragon Quest Eleven so accessible is that I think it is certainly even more than eight the easiest of the Dragon Quest games. But you get some real challenges um, that are really unique in uh, the third part, which I loved, and I love that you couldn't just like brute force your way through some of those challenges in the third act. Um, that you you had to do things in a certain amount of turns, and it didn't matter what level you. Where you could be level 99, but you had to be really, really cautious about the way you rolled the skills out. Um, I think the skill system here is a little bit stronger than it is in 8. Um, I, I don't like the battle system quite as much. What, what's it called again when you hit, enter a super-powered state in Dragon Quest XI? Um, you turn blue. What's it called? I can't remember. Oh, 
it's not high tension anymore. No. It's a, they they uh, they give you a, they have a special word for it. Yeah, I don't I don't like that as much because it feels more random. I like the way that eight sort of forces you to mess around with the, the, that system a little bit more. But I think the the battle system here is really excellent, and I love the cast of characters. It just feels like the most polished. Uh, most perfected version of what Dragon Quest has always been um, in, yeah, in, the, in the most accessible format that it's ever been in. Um, and I don't mean that in a negative way at all. World, the, the open world feels great. Like you, you ride around these really vast areas on a horse mm-hmm. and like you even, I even had my favorite campsites and my favorite crafting areas by the, uh, mm-hmm. by the end game of this. Yeah. And uh, it, 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 it's the coolest Dragon Quest world to traverse. The story is the, the story is all right, and the main characters are great. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think that we we talked about this a lot in the spoiler cast episode, but um, the transitions between sort of Act One to Act Two and then Act Two to Act Three are not problematic, but like mm, should they have done it this way? Kind of thing. Like it, it, they they go into some into some story convention BS that maybe not everyone appreciates. I I w- I, I was not sure how I felt at the time and was ultimately okay with it. But uh, again, without spoiling it, it's there's, there's some story choices that are made. Yeah. And I don't think all of them worked perfectly, um, but you know, they, yeah. they, they still made sense and I, they still gave me things that I liked, like, you know, some characters that we got to play as, and then like the post game, which I thought was the most fun part um, that sort of, leaned into the parts of Dragon Quest that I really like, which is sort of taking the simplistic battle system and having to be very strategic in the ways in which you execute it. Um, And and one crazy thing is um, we mentioned this when we were talking about Dragon Quest VII, how when you revisit certain areas and new context, it adds to the story. Mm -hmm. You visit maybe not every town, but almost every town in both Act One, Act Two, and Act Three. Mm -hmm. And there's a different thing happening or a different thing to do in the town each act. Yeah, and in I, a way that feels really, really powerful. Yeah, I loved in particular. I won't spoil it, but what's going on in Hado between Act Two and Act Three? I thought that the the yes. distinction, what was happening there, was fascinating. Um, I thought it was one yeah, of the strongest story story moments for the game. Yeah, and um, what's going on? I forget the name of the kingdom, but the the Ice Kingdom has a sort of a normal like uh fairy tale ish um save the kingdom from the Ice Witch story in Act One, mm-hmm. and then in Act Two, it's you're sort of dealing with another one of the town's local le- legends, but with the help of the queen and the witch that you, that you, that you saved before. Mm-hmm. And then, and then in act three, there's sort of post game activities to do there involving the same characters. It's like, like you see situations like that. It's much more dramatic in, uh, in act two and act three in Hoto, but it's a situation like that in almost every location in the game. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, this isn't really a spoiler because it's the first 20 minutes, but in the first, in, in the very beginning of the game, the whole conceit is, oh, you're the hero of legend. You're the hero of legend. You're the chosen one. You need to go to the kingdom. And it's just like Dragon Quest two or three. Oh, the hero has to go and visit the kingdom. Uh, but when you get there, the king's like, hey, wait a second. How come the monsters always come at the same time as the chosen hero? Maybe the chosen hero is the leader of the monsters. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and uh, your answer to that is, oh, no, absolutely not. And uh, <laughs> you get thrown in the, into the dungeon and then you escape the dungeon and the story begins in earnest. But just flip, but just flipping that story conceit on its head and making you a hunted hero, uh, game's words, not mine, uh, for most of the game is a really impressive story turn. Yeah. I, I thought, like, that's exactly the way to subvert Dragon Quest a little bit while still making it really fun and exciting. Yeah. It, like, it, you could feel the writers winking at you a little bit, but it was I was I was invested from the very beginning. I agree. I mean, it so strongly honors what Dragon Quest is about. And we've talked about uh, this isn't really a spoiler, but the the, the credit sequence at the end where it shows all those 
previous Dragon Quest games. Oh my uh, god! Where I'm like I, crying I, I a little bit. By. Yeah, I cried. Um, yeah, and, and it, it honors so well what Dragon Quest is, but it also inverts the expectations along the way in really fascinating ways. Uh, not perfect, but I, I I thought it worked for the most part. Um, but yeah, it, it, it feels like the most Dragon Quest uh, outside of maybe Dragon Quest Seven. In some ways, it feels the most Dragon Quest, um, but also like smoothed out and inverted just a little bit um, to make it interesting. Um, it, it's such it's such a well designed game. It, it's almost it might be the most well designed RPG I can think of. I mean, like it's almost perfect in the way that it plays. Yeah, and in Act One, you have to do a a new version of the Six Orbs quest from Dragon yeah. Quest Three, and I mentioned how. Uh, there's a huge reference to Dragon Quest Three in the post-credits sequence, and uh, how each of the eight main characters is basically exactly one of the uh, jobs from Dragon Quest Three. Like this is, in a way, it's a prequel or a new or a new version of Dragon Quest Three, but in other ways, it's it's basically its own standalone story that is extremely referential mm-hmm. and respectful to every other game in the series while standing on its own pretty well. And I, I mentioned this before, it's the most beautiful realization of dragon of a dragon quest setting and dragon quest monsters. Like everything in the, in the, at least in the PS4 version uh, looks awesome. Yeah. And again, like just riding on your horse. Um, I think that it's important that in any video game, not just RPGs that moving and jumping just have to feel good. Mm-hmm. And and the moving and the and the horseback riding in this game just felt great. Yeah, the fact that they added dashing in for us as opposed to the um, Japanese version was really helpful too. Um, it makes things move yeah. a lot quicker. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I it's going to be hard for me because I'm definitely picking up the Switch version at some point, um, probably early, and I'll play it. It's going to be hard for me to go away from the beautiful graphics that you see in the Dragon Quest XI uh, on the PS4 and go. T- I want to play it in the 16-bit version, like really badly. I want to try that as well. <laughs> um, I, I, again, I don't know when I'll get yeah. to it, but. It, I, it, it will happen. It's but, a matter. It's a matter of when and not if. Yeah, and it just looks so good that it's going to be hard for me to like sort of take take that away. But um, yeah, it, it's such a beautiful looking game, um, and especially for someone who's you know been playing this for thirty years to see them realized in full three D so beautifully. Um, the environments are varied. It, it's just such a it's such an amazing game. Yeah, we, we both love Dragon Quest Eleven, and yeah. it's it, it was definitely my game of the year last year. Yeah, and it was probably the only game in the past, I don't know, say seven years that. I think enters my canon of all-time favorite games immediately. Yeah, that near Automata for me. Yeah, no, nah, for me it's just Dragon Quest. <laughs> <laughs> but the, uh, but yeah, it's really excellent and definitely in our top five. Zach, um, we at the beginning of this podcast, I said that we had to pick an overall favorite, and um, and and we examined each of our preferences, and uh, and, and and I did speak to Keegan and Rob and some other RPG fan people, and uh, we. Uh, our our conclusion was uh, almost a near consensus. I believe the consensus was Dragon Quest Five, right? Yep, Dragon Quest Five. It's it's that hero's journey. It's that it's the the big drama in the storyline. It's uh, your pet cat. It's your wife and kids. It's uh, recruiting monsters. It's a really really special game that feels personal and emotional, and yeah. uh, and also as satisfying as an RPG. Which is amazing because there are some real contenders here. Eleven, real contender for me. Seven, a real contender. But man, five, that story, um, it, it 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 makes me emotional multiple times throughout. I love the family dynamic. I love the monster gathering. I usually don't like capturing monsters. Um, it's just such it's such a well put together RPG. Agreed. And for me, it was really five, eight, and eleven are sort of the top three with. Yeah. Uh, Dragon Quest Three in there is like the legacy pick. Like you're uh, you're extremely important and still and still great in 2019. But mm. uh, Five stands out strongest. Yeah, and it's kind of remarkable how our top five are each in different console generations. Oh yeah, that's true. 
we got, we got, yeah, we got NES, NES, PS1, PS2, PS4, mm-hmm. slash 3DS, slash Switch. But the uh, those five are all contenders, but Dragon Quest V is our overall favorite, and I, and I don't feel bad about it. <laughs> no. I mean, it's, it's an excellent game that I would recommend to anyone who enjoys RPGs. Like Dragon Quest, don't like Dragon Quest, whatever. It's just an excellent game. And Dragon Quest V absolutely stands the test of time, and it is uh, our favorite Dragon Quest game here at Retro Encounter. But I think that's all for our favorite Dragon Quest episode of Retro Encounter. Uh, thanks so much for joining me, Zach. Oh. I mean, it, it takes it takes very little prompting for me to just uh, BS <laughs> about Dragon Quest with someone, but I had a lot of fun doing it. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. I, I'm always down to talk Dragon Quest. Right on. And uh, listeners, thank you for joining us for uh, this uh, for this full episode. But uh, next week, we do not know what we're doing yet. I am still flying on the seat of my pants here, uh, trying to assemble people for a topic, any topic. Uh, our sports idea that we had um, starting from uh, several months ago looks like it's tanked. But um, we're, uh, we will figure something out and have something recorded uh, for you next week. But later this month, we're doing two episodes on Wild Arms 3, uh, which, which won a fan poll earlier this year. Uh, those are going to be the last two episodes of September. I'm uh, still early-ish in Wild Arms 3, but I'm really, really enjoying it. This is, this is a, a cool PS2 RPG, and I'll, I'll definitely have more specific thoughts for you in two weeks. But listeners, if you want to research, if, excuse me, listeners, if you want to reach out to us, please email retro at rpgfan.com. That's the best and most direct way to find us. You can also comment on RPG fans' message boards, visit our Facebook page, our Instagram page, our Twitter, our Discord server, our Twitch, uh, what do you call it, Twitch? Channel. Channel, yeah. <laughs> yeah, or, or our Twitch channel. We have something streaming on Twitch every single day from our video team and they do a lot of uh, fun work over there. We also have two other podcasts, random encounter and rhythm encounter random encounter is hosted by Greg Delmage and focused on current events. Rhythm encounter is hosted by, by a variety of people and focuses on music, but it has not had an episode in a few years. Um, and you can review us or rhythm or random on iTunes, Google play, or however you are listening to us, please give us all the feedback you wish to provide. So, Zach, if a listener wants to reach out to you directly, how would they do so? Uh, you can email me at ZachW at RPGFan.com, or you can find me on Discord at ZachW. And listeners, if you want to reach me, you can find me on Twitter at the Real Monsoon, also at Evoker for Dogs, on uh, Discord as Monsoon Mike, or on uh, the forums as Monsoon. So, uh, Dragon Quest V. So good. So good. It's real good. <laughs> we did two episodes on it a couple years ago. Yeah. They're good episodes. If we did if we did another Dragon Quest episode, what do you think would be the best candidate? Mm, I think that Dragon Quest three, um, given its tie in to eleven, would be a good choice. I think four would yeah, also be popular. Those are both, you know, relatively digestible as well. <laughs> the other ones yeah, are very you also, long. You also, can beat, you also can definitely beat those less than a month, and right. you can only beat seven or eleven in a month if you're an insane person like me or me. But uh, listeners, <laughs> don't be an insane person like me. Uh, thank you. Good night and good luck.